0: couldn't get released and I was just stuck. And that was like the year that like my loyalty, like that sort of crap, like that ended. Because I mean, I could do an hour talking about how miserable that year was. But that year showed me that like football is only to be a business. The guys in the locker room, you know, the coaches that you meet, they can be great people and friends, but it will always be a business for you. Tapping with Identity Impact.
1: I want to take a quick break in the podcast to talk about our good friends, Jillian and Amber Tatino with J and A custom marketing. J and A custom marketing offers website design, website rebranding, website maintenance and optimization, lead generation services, consulting, and much, much more. Their sleek designs will set your business apart from competitors and their SEO and lead generation skills will send clients your way without months of waiting for your website to rank. Check out their website at jacustommarketing.com. And make sure to follow them on Facebook and Instagram. Reach out today to start marketing your business your way. Greg, what's up, man? Welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me, Tim. It's it's a great
0: Maxion Tuesday to be here.
1: It sure is, man. We got a we got Toledo Maction. It's a random Tuesday night game that we me and you both have been so used to playing. And the cool thing with this conversation and this podcast is me and Greg were teammates. Again, another Toledo guy. Um, I love that hoodie, by the way. We were talking a little off air about that hoodie. That's a throwback from 2009. And of course, I don't have my Toledo gear on. I'm disappointed in myself, but I got I to gotta run to work after this. But uh, yeah, that's the connection. It's me and Greg, were teammates. We roomed together a bunch on uh, away games and had a ton of awesome conversations over the years about so many different things and uh, has become one of my really good friends. So dude, I'm so just excited to to catch up with you, first of all, because I feel like we haven't talked in a while, but, uh, for you to come on the podcast, man, it's really cool. So I appreciate that.
0: Yeah, it's going to be neat. You were also one of the main hosts on my official visit. So
1: that's how far back we go. So <laughs> that was probably the I'm best, looking forward damn, to it too. best damn official visit of your life right That's why you committed, right?
0: The, the only one. I didn't need a single one afterwards. I just had the Rockets <laughs> and then we were ready
1: to go. Oh, I love it. So take us back to the beginning. Was football yeah. your first sport or did, were you involved in a ton of different things, you know, leading up through? Uh, elementary school years
0: yeah so when i was growing up i played every sport that i could um i didn't start football until third grade but i mean i was a twice a year baseball twice year soccer i mean i tried basketball i wasn't any good at that one uh, I'm swimming tennis volleyball my mom was a d1 volleyball player so i played volleyball too so I, I basically played every sport under under the sun
1: you think that so you're a really athletic guy I mean that's that's helped you stay in the NFL for years do you think playing sports like that like soccer tennis different things like that helped you and you, you I don't know if you've always been a bigger guy but uh, do you think that helped develop your athleticism at that age well I, I think it's
0: super important for two reasons right like the main reason is the fact that when you're young you don't want to get burned out right like you and I both know the people who played travel basketball and did you and all that stuff, and that's all they did. And then they got burned out. Or, like, baseball is another big one, right? Or, like, you played, like, 160 games a year, and you got burned out. But I think the other thing it does is it sort of develops a full – um, what do you call it? Like, range of motion, like, functional cortex, whatever you want to call it. I don't know the correct term. You would. You're the smart guy on that stuff. But <laughs> – like you know i i I think to myself i wish i was like taking some sort of like gymnastics thing so i'd be more flexible right because the one thing i am now 300 pounds that i'm not great at is flexibility but um i think it's imperative and you look at the numbers i know the ncaa puts out some stupid stat like 80 percent of athletes committed to ohio state were like three sport athletes or whatever but i think there's a lot of truth to it you know the the, the the very like one percent of the nfl players who all they had to do was play football like great that's great for them but for the 99 percent of us and then the 99 percent of the rest of the world like you need to have multiple sports
1: right did you so when you started playing football i know you mentioned third grade did you just like instantly fall in love with it like you knew that's kind of what you wanted to do so
0: i love football i always did um i watched games with my dad the browns games every sundays you know they weren't Winning much because they had just been an expansion team. But um, I loved football. Baseball is my best sport for probably until my sophomore year of high school. Um, and that wasn't because I didn't love football. I just was a pretty pretty solid left-handed hitter. So, um, you know, I was a running back and defensive end until my sophomore year of high school, too. So um, I didn't quite hit my,
1: my growth spurt until later on. So in high school you went to Anderson right in Ohio. You guys yeah. did really well there. I know you guys had some like pretty big time players, right? Mm-hmm. So we had um,
0: freshman year we were all in the freshman team. We were ten and zero, and then we won state in D two in Ohio, which is the second biggest division. And we were thirteen and two. My junior year we lost state. My senior year we were twelve and one, moved up to D one, but lost in the regional final to uh, Elder. And then, um, ironically enough, there was another offensive lineman named Andrew Norwell. He's on the Commanders, but we're the only two NFL players in the history of our hundred and however many years school, and we played the same year in the same position. So
1: uh, that's crazy. Yeah, not so very. I, I know guys, Andrew, but, yeah. so I know yeah. Andrew from, from my time at Ohio State, and that actually that's actually a good topic to bring up. So, did you guys graduate together?
0: Yeah, same class, same like old offensive tackle. He um, was obviously Ohio State, like you said, and yeah. we were Toledo yeah. guys, so.
1: Yeah. Was that kind of tough on you at that age, like thinking, so Andrew was getting recruited, you know, power mm-hmm. five. He had Ohio State coming in, probably, what, four- or five-star recruit, mm-hmm. and uh, and you were maybe, I don't want to say limited because playing at Toledo is a huge accomplishment. Just playing right. football in college is a huge accomplishment, and and I right. know how good, how good of a school Toledo is, but did that ever – like weigh on you that he was getting some of that bigger attention?
0: You know, um, it's funny. It's funny. Cause that, that was a, like in high school, that was a big deal. Um, I wouldn't say, you know, he, he came from a family, right. His brother played college at Illinois and like our sophomore year, he was like the five star, like, you know, number, I think it was like the number two player in the state. Like he had every offer under the, under the sun. And I just wanted one of those schools to look at me, you know, it was crazy how, uh, I remember there was a, um, a Michigan coach who came in and, um, you know, they were trying to recruit him and our other guy, or our head coach was like, hey, you know, we got this other guy, you know, pretty decent player. And the kid's like, yeah, I'm all right. I just like walked away, like right in front of me. And, um, you know, it was really hard at the time because, I mean, granted, Andrew was bigger, he was stronger, he was faster. I was an extremely um, young 17-year-old, if that makes sense. You know, I was, I was very young. But, um, yeah, I really wanted to go to, you know, like a, I really wanted to go to Michigan State at the time, which was sort of weird because they're the, the smaller of the, the big names in that area. But I wanted to go to Michigan State. And I wanted to go to Cincinnati. And, um, yeah, Carrie Combs and Brian Kelly told me, like, I wasn't good enough to play D1 football. And, um, gosh, I remember that meeting too. And it just sort of hurt, you know, because I saw this stuff. And I'm like, we're both doing it. Yeah, you know, right. like we're, we're both, we're both playing. It's not like I'm not playing too, but I think if you're a college recruiter at the time, that was before huddle, you know, that was before all that stuff. And they're probably thinking there's no way this smallish, you know, D one school. It's never had an NFL player has two guys that are that good at the same position.
1: Right. So, so when he commits to Ohio state, did, was there like motivation? Did that motivate you? Like, I know I could play. I feel like I'm as good as him, maybe better than him. Um, like, I, I know I could play at that level, or was that kind of like it got you down? Like, maybe I'm not good enough. Like, maybe I should buy into what the recruiters are telling me. Like, I'm I'm not a good football player.
0: Yeah. Um, you, know, you know me well enough as a person, I don't think I would ever let anyone tell me I wasn't good enough um, right. ever. But um, I, I don't think him committing really did anything because that wasn't my – my journey, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Um, It definitely always gave me extra motivation. Like, Hey, I want to get to his level in the eyes of like, you know, these, these college people. Um, And obviously he's gone and had full loads of success and he's earned all of it. And he's, you know, great. But like, I definitely think at least in the high school time and period, and maybe even that first year at Toledo where I redshirted and he didn't, there was a slight bit of like, man, like I got to catch up. Like I got to catch up somehow. And, you know, obviously the perception of the people that really don't matter, but at the time, especially when you're in that young age where you're trying to figure it out, it's sort of something you think about.
2: I think one thing that I like to point out to younger people, right. And there's this uh, connectivity, if if that's even a word between Mm -hmm. uh, competition and comparison, when in reality, least the way I treat competition, it's more intrinsic. So, because I dealt with similar things that you did, right? I, I went to a small school. There were other people who I competed against who, at least I felt I was out competing, were getting bigger offers than I was, right? So the way that I try and articulate it now to younger people is don't worry about what they're getting. Just worry about improving yourself. If you're not at that level, figure out what you're doing in your process that's not right and right. learn to critique yourself and learn to make yourself better, not at the expense of comparing yourself to someone else, but to mm-hmm. get you to the level that, or the goals that, that you want. That That's yeah. how I look at it. I don't know if it's changed for you as you've gotten older and played in the NFL for, yeah. I think what, seven, eight years. I, I would love yeah. to just kind of hear your process from that standpoint.
0: Yeah. So, you know, I think the, the one, the biggest, I don't know if you want to call it the, the gut shot, but the moment where I was like, I need to prove them wrong was um, we had Jim Tressel showed up, you know, and he was like the man in Ohio and he's walking around the school and we're wearing our college commit shirt days. And um, Jim Tressel came up to me he's like, Oh, like you're going to Toledo. You play football. And I was like, yeah, he's like, that's okay. I guess. And like walks away and I don't think, I don't think oh he meant gosh. anything by it. But, like, it was just how it, like, it really rubbed me the wrong way. And, Tim, you remember that game in 2011? That was, like, my first start was in the shoe. I mean, it was the yeah. second start. But that was, like, road start in the shoe. John Simon, 110,000. And, man, we had the ball in the 13-yard line, right? Like, to win the game. To win yeah. the game, yeah. But I think that was sort of the moment, like, where it sort of changed in my head. Like, I didn't really care anymore. You know, like, I played in the shoe. I went to the hardest environment any of us could ever imagine. And was grinding as a redshirt freshman against this all-American super senior. You know, I was like, all right, I don't need to prove it to them anymore. Like, this is dumb. Like, I just need to focus on me.
1: And that's so, like, how how coaches and, and figureheads, if you want to call it, use their words. Because at that age, if, if Jim Trestle, like, you are looking at him like he's a superhero, right? He's yeah. all over the TVs winning national championships. He's Ohio's, Ohio State is larger than life. Uh, he comes to your school and all you could think about is meeting Jim Trestle for the first time. Uh, and then he says something like that to you. Again, uh, at your oh, yeah. age, 17, 18 years old, like just think of what goes through your head. Like all of a sudden, like Jim Trestle thinks you're a piece of shit because you're, go- <laughs> because you're going to a smaller D one school than mm. Ohio state, you know? At, oh,
0: yeah.
1: And And now even more so now, because social media wasn't huge back at that time i mean it, it was it was there it was relevant but now it's so much bigger so right. how how certain people use their words in a tweet can be so misconstrued and and take a shot to someone's ego or take a shot to someone's right. confidence and and i think again just being able to separate yourself and your process from all the outside surrounding noise makes a really big difference and that could be the difference between you kind of getting over the hump and and remaining that confident person or just getting completely buried yeah no i i agree and again like
0: you know i don't know if i don't think there was any malicious intent he was probably just like you know moving on to the next conversation because he had all these people like like you said he was like the man right Right. when he came to school there were people wanting autographs and pictures and stuff and um but it's crazy how like when you feel like you're slighted even though you probably weren't how like
1: it sort of sticks with you for a while until
0: you realize like it really wasn't I I was just I was just looking for something there
1: yeah and again you it creates that vivid memory like I I have a similar story with Charlie Weiss Charlie Weiss was the head coach at Notre Dame and uh you know Notre Dame sending me letters inviting me to camps and junior days and stuff like that and in my head, that's where I was going. Like I'm going yeah. to Notre Dame. And yeah. I remember I, I talked to Charlie Weiss and um, I can't remember the guy's name who was recruiting me at the time, but um, they called me. They're about to get on a plane to go on a recruiting trip. And I said, you know, hey, I, I just want to know, like, is there any opportunity that I could get a scholarship or, or an opportunity to play at Notre Dame? And, and he said, we'll give you a call back. And they called back like five minutes later and, and they literally said, Tim, we're going to go a different direction. And at that point, I'm like, that's it. Like my hopes and dreams of playing at that big of a school and playing at Notre Dame just immediately flushed down the drain. And again, you're 17 years old, so you don't 17 years old and you've been told your entire life that you're really good and you're a great athlete and you're going to play on ESPN one day and all these different Mm -hmm. things. And and that's kind of like one of the first times where someone shoots you down, you know, so that's, that's a challenge. But, uh, you always
0: remember, you always remember the first couple and then eventually you realize it's just sort of in our world that happens a lot more than you think.
1: Right. So yeah. you mentioned, you mentioned being redshirted. Talk about mm-hmm. the redshirt season. Cause I do remember a vivid conversation with you, uh, in a hotel room where you right. were kind of questioning, you know, if, if this is where you want to be and if this is what you want to do.
0: That's right. So, um, I came into Toledo, um, I had honestly one of the best camps of my life. Um, I think that's partially just because of the coaches. I told you, you know, how fondly I think of Campbell and Manning and that whole staff, but, um, you know, I, I was doing so well. And obviously you remember we had Nate and Kevin, you know, and then obviously, uh, John Mook, uh, Vandy and big Phil. And, um, those were the starting five you know but gosh i don't i don't remember how the first couple of weeks went i just know we went to boise and sort of laid in right like yeah, we that was like no i'm sorry the arizona game was first and we got smoked Yeah, and that was my first ever college football experience so that was funny and then we got smoked by boise and campbell sort of pulled me aside I was like hey like you you're playing this week you know i'm like i thought i was redshirting he's like no you're playing And, um, gosh, you did talk to me. You talked me off there because I was freaking out, like, am I going to play? It's Kerrigan. Like, he was this giant senior defensive end. I was going to have to play against him. And uh, you're like, dude, you're not going to play. Calm down. I'm like, I'm going (laughs) to (laughs) play. Because, like, the secret secret thing that actually made me think I was going to play, because Campbell used to be like, I don't know, this might be the week, because he would get mad at Nate. But it was—he uh, told my mom to call off work and go to uh, whatever Purdue West Lafayette
2: yeah. for the
0: game. She was like, "You need to go to the game. He this is the week he's going to play." And I think it was you and Hank who were like, "Dude, calm down. You're not playing." And then, sure enough, <laughs> I end up not playing, which was like the greatest blessing I ever had in my life because I got that extra year. <clears throat> but after that game. I'm not playing this whole year. Like, I can't do – I can't keep coming up and out, coming up and down. Because it was like you're, like, right on the border there. And, um, yeah, that was nuts. That was nuts. But I did travel to every game. So, you know, the way red shirts work, I actually was upset about it at the time because, like, Jeff, Josh, Rosie, like, all the guys in my grade are going out and, like, experiencing college. You know, they're doing Friday and Saturday nights. They're having a great time. Meanwhile, I'm sitting in a hotel room like doing breakdowns of defensive ends that I'll never play against just because like they want me to be around the team. And um, I mean, it was great and I'm really happy I did it and really, you know, did a good job because at the time I was trying to be an engineer and football at Toledo, which didn't work out for the engineering department. And, um, <laughs> and all I did was just study more.
1: Yeah. And that's, that's the, one of the harder things about red shirting is you kind of feel again, your entire life. Like, I I don't know from up until college, I don't know if I ever sat on the bench for anything. Mm -hmm. You know I mean? Mm -hmm. Most division one athletes, if you're probably the better of the athletes, definitely in your school district, but you know, pretty much all around your County as well. So when you don't sit and you're always involved and and a lot of the times you're the feature of what your team's doing. And now all of a sudden you're, you're told like, Hey, you're not going to play your sport for an entire year you're just going to practice and you're going to be on scout team and you're going to travel and you're going to carry the older guys' equipment and bags and you're going to do all this stuff. Again, that's another kind of a gut shot that, you know, it's, it's kind of challenging to deal with, you know, again, especially given, given your age.
0: Yeah. I mean, offensive lineman, I'm going to tell you there's a little bit of an exception because like that first time I pulled around on power and, and, whatever in camp and Aaron Donald sent me launch like five yards back. I was like, I need another year in the weight room. So offensive linemen, you know, you almost, I don't want to say everyone, but I'd say 70% of the guys I knew weren't upset about the red shirt itself. They're upset about the other stuff. Like you said, like the coaches don't spend the time on you that they do the starters, you know, the weight staff sort of treats you like, I don't want to say it, but like less than, like a football player, you know, those Friday morning workouts where, like, yeah. you're running and you're puking and you're shaking and you're just, like, laughing at you. Like, that's the stuff that I think, at least from the people I know, you know, that that struggled with the Richard, that's what it was.
2: So, so during that you... time, how do you lean on your teammates? I know Dickhead, Tim, telling you you're not going to play. Uh, probably wasn't was helping realistic. you. Out. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm, a
1: good, I'm a good friend. I was being realistic.
2: Well <laughs> like how do you lean on your, your teammates through that? because at the end of the day that, that's really kind of what, what's going to get you through it sure. in, in those moments, at least in my sure. experience.
0: Well, I, I think and this is this is me chasing a rabbit hole here a little bit. so let me go for a minute on a sidebar. I think this might be part of the things that college football is lacking right now because everyone just transfers as soon as they leave. Like, we had such a close group at Toledo. Like, Tim can tell you, there are, I don't know, 20 guys that I could call up at any time that would probably answer the phone call or call me back within four hours. And, like, I mean, I say this as, like, a joke, but, like, my senior year, we had five fifth-year seniors on the O-line and a fifth-year, like, fullback, if you want to call them that. So we had basically six fifth-year senior alignment because we all did it together. And, like, that went from dinners to hanging out, to playing football, to going to class, like that's the stuff that I think you lean on when you're going through these hard times. You know, and these guys transfer now so fast, and it's like they don't go through any of those things together, so they don't build those bonds. And uh, then you don't have anyone to lean on, and then it goes down even farther. So um, I know there needs to be some form of transfer, but I, I think you need to have – a group of guys that you can lean on and mine goes back to my official visit I know I mentioned it jokingly with Tim but like me Rob Jeff and Josh all came on a visit together we hung out with you know Kevin John Mook and Zach and like all of us hung out the whole time and then that whole first year we all hung out again like that's just how it was and um you know I'm thankful every day that I went to Toledo and had that group of it and that type of experience
2: so what would your advice then be to someone who might be sitting thinking about transferring, who comes in as a freshman, as a redshirt freshman, redshirt sophomore, still not playing. When is When does it make sense to stick and ride it out, in your opinion, versus, hey, I might need to go somewhere else and sure. how to build a new relationship or give myself a better opportunity? Right.
0: So take it back a step. I think when you're a senior in high school and you're looking at colleges, kids always go for the flashy schools, the flashy coaches, and the, like the flashy uniforms. Like, it's all about the culture in the locker room. Like, I can tell you the same thing about the NFL, but, like, if you have a group of guys in that locker room who are good dudes, like, that's where you should go. Like, the school, like, yeah, obviously you'd rather go to a high-ranking university than a low-ranking university or however you want to view that, or they have your major that you want. But, like, if you're really going to play football, like, you have to find a group of guys who are good people. Because, like... You know, I don't know when the right time to transfer is. I can't think of too many people who transferred out of Toledo. But I think maybe, like, my answer would be if you're looking for a time. You know, I can't give you an answer there. Just because, like, I didn't transfer. I never thought about transferring. And, like, at Toledo, like, Tim, how many guys do you think transferred, like, in our four years?
1: Like, Oh, yeah. I I can't even. I'm trying to think off the top of my head. Like, I know Trevar's cadet was one. He left. Mm. He was my grade. We, we had more in my grade, I think, because mm. of the coaching change. I know when when Tim Beckman mm. came in, there was kind of like a a completely different approach. And he was he, well, he kicked out. out. Yeah, he got kids he kicked him. out on drug tests. I, yeah. I know like in my class, I remember getting drug tests like every week. And I wanted to be like, how like, how much more do I have to prove to you? I, I'm not smoking weed. Like, (laughs) stop! Stop drug testing me. I'm so sick of waking up at 5 a.m. Like, you're not gonna get me kicked out of this school. Please Um, quit quit drug testing me. And I don't know if he was doing that just to. It it felt like he was trying to do that to our class, but I know some kids were kind of forced out rather than transferred. But I know Cadet was one, and Cadet left because he wanted to play quarterback, but he ended up going to App State, and they kept him at wide receiver anyway. So it was like, it kind of you know backfired on on his plan, but. But yeah, we we were so tight. We had a really close group, and and I know I got to see two parts of it. So I was part of the early years with with uh or the end of the Amstutz run, to where our class was really tight knit, but the rest of the team really wasn't. And I definitely think that was a contributing factor and why we weren't very good because we had a lot of good players. Like we had multiple NFL guys on that team and weren't mm-hmm. very good. But you guys coming in. It was a completely different culture. I'd, I'd love to say it was the coaches that changed it, but we were very tight. I, there was almost times where I felt like it was us versus the coaches versus Beckman and, and how he was acting. I don't know if you felt that way too, but, but we really, well, it, was, it, it was always, it, yeah it was always the guys against Beckman,
0: you know? Yeah.
1: Right. Yeah. When, right. When,
0: when Beckman left, we threw a party. Like we literally had <laughs> threw a party. So, um, yeah, we we were not we were not upset when he left.
2: I guess but Beckman that won't be too. coming on the podcast then. <laughs> no, I
1: don't think we're gonna. I don't think we're gonna get on Timmy. Timmy B. Yeah. but uh, but yeah, I, and I think that contributes now. I you t- we talked about Matt Campbell off the air at Iowa State, and I really like Matt. He's a really good guy. I mean, I always felt like he looked out for his players most importantly, and I always felt like he just love football. Like it it was never using Toledo as like a stepping stone to get elsewhere. He just loved coaching football. He loved being around the guys and, and you see it at Ohio state. I'm sorry, at Iowa state. And I definitely think that is why they have been, you know, relevant in the big 12 for the last couple of years. So that definitely makes a difference why teams are good and, and why teams aren't.
2: I want to touch on that too, because you both bring up a really good point about the culture, particularly when it comes to recruiting for young people and people hear the word culture and they think it's like this, like myth thing. But it's one of the most real things because it just makes going to work because that's what it is. Whether you're in college or the NFL or high school, football's work. It makes it going. It makes going there significantly easier, right? And, and to touch on Iowa State too, my old strength staff at Pitt is there now, and those guys were like that. just great guys. You knew that they loved you. You knew that they cared about you. So when you're going through those atrocious workouts that make you want to die, you're going to pull through because you know, they have your back and they're doing it in your best interest, right? Whether you're the star quarterback or whether you're the last man on the totem pole, those are the types of organizations and people I root for where they treat those guys the same and they're trying to bring them together. So I did just want to highlight that and emphasize how important it really is. And if you are a recruit, or you are a free agent in the NFL, or whatever your situation is, try and find that because it's going to pay off in the long run.
1: Yeah, no doubt. And culture to me is just not wanting to let down your teammate. Like that to me is what creates a good culture versus versus not having a culture. Like if if I really care about Greg then I want to make sure I'm pulling my weight because I I care about him. I don't want to let him down. And he feels the same way about me when the whole team has that cohesiveness and the coaches are on board with that too. Again, that, that is where you see that culture versus again, I was part of a different culture where we'd go out and drink on Thursday nights before Saturday, before Saturday game, you know? So again, it's, it's a completely different culture. I see Colin laughing (laughs) right now, but (laughs) That's a realistic of of college football. That's kind of how, how it was. So, uh, but yeah, moving on anyways. (laughs) So you're Mr. Everything at Toledo, right? Mac player of the year, all American. Mm -hmm. You do think like you're getting drafted. When did, when did the NFL start to become a reality for you? Or were were you even thinking about it, you know, during those days? Well, I, uh, so this you'll you'll appreciate these couple stories so
0: um i started as a chemical engineer right and i remember um vividly alex Golish uh coming up to me like at the end of my retro freshman year because i got named first team you know all freshmen whatever blah 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 and he told me you know you should really focus on you should really go to school for football like you should <laughs> really like because engineering was taking up so much of my time and um I need to clarify this just so your podcast knows the engineering department actually told me to quit football when I registered. Wow. So they were like, Hey man, like we, we have this O chem lab and we really need you to be there. So, you know, you didn't play this year in football. I registered like, you should probably quit and focus on school. And I remember like, I left that meeting cause like, they were great teachers, but I left that meeting and like, like, you know, you're not paying for my college. Like, football right. is paying for my college. So I called Campbell, and Campbell was like, Yep, we'll switch you to business right now. And like, <laughs> instantly called Stacy and like got it done. But, um, yeah, engineering like kicked me out, which is wild because like two years later, I had a great talk with them, and they're like, Hey, we're sorry. You know, but it was just sort of how we did it. So when you commit to college, is another thing. Make sure the curriculum is actually going to work with athletics. You know, right. it can't, it can't only be one way. But, um, Yeah, I started thinking about the NFL probably after my fourth year. You know, my Richard Jr. year, I had – I'd start having success. But I was moving around positions all the time, so I didn't really know, you know, how that worked or how it was going to work. And um, the agent started to call. And, like, I know nowadays there's, like, better agent ratings. But, like, guys, if you listen to one thing I tell you, if you're a guy who's trying to go to the NFL – the first guy to offer you $5,000 to sign with them run the other way. Right. Any good agent worth his salt isn't going to try to give you like a little bit of money up front just so you sign with them. Like that is the, I've seen more guys get caught in bad situations because of that. But, um, I got lucky. I had probably like 20 calls or so from agents and I sort of started directing them to my mom. Cause I didn't want to deal with them during the season. Like I was really yeah. committed to Toledo and, um, Campbell and Tommy made a deal with me at the end of the year. They're like, Hey, like we really don't know anything about these agents either because they were, you know, new in that department. So, um, they sat down with me and we listened to four presentations, whoever me and my mom thought the top four agencies were, it was me, Campbell, Tommy, my mom, and four groups of agents. And they all did presentations on why I should sign with them, um, what they presented. And, um, you know, my biggest, thought was do I want to be a big fish in a small pond or a small fish in a big pond right like do you want to be the agents like lone customer or do you want to be um sort of a just another guy on the agency um I went with the big agency you know sports stars I'd say CAA sports stars and athletes first are the three that come to my head I went with sports stars I didn't have uh CA or time but um and it you can still get all the things you want from a small agent in terms of attention and that stuff from the big agencies, as long as you set a relationship with your agent from the start. Like I talked to my agent once a week, he's one of the best guys I ever met. And honestly, for the next part of the story about the draft, like he's probably the only reason I'm still playing. Right. Cause I'd had two shoulder surgeries in college. I went to the shrine game. I was thinking I was going to be a late day two, early day, three draft pick, right. Somewhere from that three to five, That's where I was slotted. That's where I was supposed to go. And my shoulder gets ripped out, like, in the Shrine game. Like, the Combine's in three weeks, you know, the drafts would have been three months. And my shoulder literally gets stuck, like, up here, like, in a rep. And I'm freaking out, and I'm not knowing what to do. And that agent, that same one that I signed, right, that's why it's important that you have a good agent, says, okay, that's fine. Flies with me from – where were we? Tampa, up to New York, we go to HSS, I sit down with the doctor, they the surgeon, they do all the MRIs and CAT scans, they find out I need a ladder stay surgery. He flies me home two days later to gather my thoughts, get my mom, flies me back out four days later after that, and then we get the surgery.
1: That's great. So and everyone sees it at the East West game. You know, like you can't even hide anything. Mm-hmm. Like you're, you're in front of every single scout and every single scout knows that you've had multiple cer- or multiple uh, injuries and now you just had another one. You know, how reliable is this guy going to be? Right. And that's probably why, why you went undrafted, I would assume, right?
0: Well, I think to this day, the best thing my agent ever did after that is when he found out I was going to have to have a surgery, he looked at me square in the eyes and said, Greg, you're probably not going to get drafted. And at the time, like, it crushed me, right? Like, you talk about dreams, hopes, aspirations. Like, I was going to break the Toledo curse because we had all these guys in the league and no one had been drafted. And, like, it all ended in, like, a second in my brain. And um it's funny because, like, I think about guys who get told, like, yeah, you might still get drafted. And then, like, later on they get crushed. Like, I got crushed right there. And I've always appreciated that honesty. And – um yeah, that was that was a hard moment because I really was like, man, like I had a a gig at Northwestern Mutual or something lined up in Toledo. I was going to start working there if it didn't work out, but I was like, man, this might never happen. And um, I just had, I remember I had a talk with uh, with Ben Pike, brother Pike, and uh, he was like, man, if this is it, like you did everything right, you you know, don't don't hang your hat on it. And I was going to hang my hat on it. Yeah. So. Um, yeah, I went to the combine and I was in a sling on drugs, like couldn't really function. Um, then I, I did my early PT at Toledo and they really screwed up because they had never dealt with that type of injury. So when I went to Houston, when I got undrafted, I was two months behind and I was four months out of surgery. Jeez. So, you know, take that how you want, but, um, yeah, that was nuts. But, you know, I, I did get a chance to undraft undrafted. So um, you want me to talk about that process a little bit?
1: Well, I, I wanted to just pause for a second because I, I want to compare it to when you were coming out of high school. It's the same situation. You're on top of the world. You guys won a ton of games. You're getting recruited. But then you get told, you know, you're not going to play at Ohio State. And now, you know, flash forward, you're back at the bottom coming up through college and and you have a ton of success and you're supposed to get drafted third through fifth round. And then once again, you're told you're not going to get drafted. How much do you think going through what you did in high school kind of prepared you for that? Was because it, in my mind, I'm thinking I've been here before and I overcame it, right? I had all these people, they told me I couldn't do something. And not that I had to prove them wrong, but I proved to myself, yes, I could do it. Now here I am again in the exact same situation, I'm going to prove to myself that I can play in the NFL. Did you ever think about like that past adversity that you had to go through that was kind of a similar thing? Or was it, again, you're in kind of uncharted waters. You really don't know what to expect with it.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think so. I think it goes even farther back for me. Um, You know, I've had some like weird downs, like when my dad passed when I was in sixth grade, right? And like things just go down, right? But if you want to go back for me, like, that would be my lowest moment. And then, like, the first time that happened was we were in high school, right? And I was a freshman in high school. I was playing D-line, and the the old coach and then was Ben Storiano. And he said, well, I got Norwell at left tackle, the guy. And then I have Hedrick at right tackle, who's another great, like, high school offensive lineman friend of mine. He said, I don't think we're even going to need you on this team. So, like – I was told I wasn't good enough to play on my high school team. So, like, I guess it was par for the course. But, like, you know, at this point it was sort of like, you know, whatever. Like, you got to carve your path. You know, Campbell always told me, you don't take the easy path. That's why you're you. And, um, again, you know, you got to have a good good group of friends, right? We talked about it in college, getting through the redshirt year. Like, getting through that surgery, it was – I went in every day to the office and hung out with Campbell and Tommy and broke down Pittsburgh Steelers blitz tapes and screen tapes and like i hung out with like rosie and josh and jeff because they were all still going to school and like i leaned on my guys because those are the people who get you through it you know it's the people you have shared experiences with who can get through get you through the hard times
2: i love that i, I do i can't highlight that enough i feel like we talked about it every episode but just surrounding yourself with the right people really just makes all the difference in the world and um, that's one thing I, I do love to highlight every time we talk about it because it's a common theme. So, uh, I'm really glad you touched on that right there. So you
1: mentioned your dad passing, mm-hmm. talk about kind of the role your mom played after that fact. So, uh, growing up football was like me and my dad's thing, right? Um,
0: I joke around that, like, I talked to him before every game because, like, that was always our plan, you know. His plan was for me to go to Duke, play football, never worry about the playoffs, and always go to the basketball games. But um, we, we we love football. So when he passed, um, I got really close with my mom, obviously. Like, we've gotten insanely close. But she had to play both parents. You know, I think, I think there are times where, especially as kids, like, we don't realize – how much our parents give up and there are definitely times like I never understood how much my mom gave up, you know, cause she raised two of us. She really never let us know about the, her internal struggles, whether it was, you know, finances, whether it was her coping with the loss of her like best friend, you know, whether it was, um, just the fact that she didn't know what to do with two kids who were complete opposites and all these different directions. So, um, she, she is an amazing woman and she did so much for me and i i can't really begin to describe that but i, I wish i would have had a better at least grasp on how much she did during the times you know because when you're in sixth seventh eighth grade you're just like mom you're being so hard on me stop or like yeah. you know like mom like why won't you just let me go do this or like just the the weird things are like, mom, you can't date. That was another thing we did, which I think to myself nowadays I'm just a jerk for. But um, you know, it's just the stuff that we didn't think about at the time.
1: Now we talk. One thing that I always like to highlight as well is, you never, whenever, whenever you put all of your goals into like your sport, right? You you want to win a championship, or you want to get drafted, or you want to, you know. Uh, I don't know, whatever, whatever it may be along the lines of your sport. Mm -hmm. Once you get to that point, I think you realize that like, oh, it's, it might not be as cool as I thought it was. So I always say like, find your higher purpose, find something more important than what you're doing. Why do you play football? Why do you want to have this, this avenue? Do you think whenever your dad passes away and you're, and you're becoming closer to your mom because of this, do you think she was kind of like your higher purpose. Like, I, I want to do well to make her proud. Was that a thing for you? Uh, well,
0: yes, but like even more, like when I went to college, it was like, I want to get a scholarship so she doesn't have to pay for it, right? Like, you know, I want to be able to have my dad's family come up and say, man, like your dad would be proud that you like did this. You got a degree, you, you know, again, like back then that was the only purpose was to get to college um and as far as like specific goals you know i've had the same phone lock screen for 12 years now and it's literally just proved them wrong it's in it's on a black it's like white text on a black background and like them can always change right but like you don't want to have short-term goals if you want to have like long-term aspirations right you need to you need to like be able to yeah you have to have stepping stones but like you said like you get there and you're like, all
1: right, that's cool. Like what's next. Right. For sure. So let's talk about the NFL a little bit. So you have been bounced around, you know, getting cut, signed to practice squads. I I know I remember a story you told me whenever uh, you're in Houston and you started a ton of games for them. And all of a sudden they bring in a guy, a high profile guy. And the coach told you that very first day that he came in, like, Hey, get to the second row you're not the starter anymore. Talk about that a little bit.
0: Right. So I went undrafted to Houston. um, I played there six years. Um, My first year I was coming off the shoulder, made the roster sort of floated around, blew out my knee like week nine. Um, Year two, they drafted a guy in the second round named Nick Martin. And um, he was slotted to be a starting center, like right off the bat. And, you know, he was a big time Notre Dame guy. And uh, he got hurt like real early in camp, like real early in camp. And um, they brought in another guy, um, Tony Bergstrom from the Raiders. And, you know, for whatever reason, like I sort of worked my way in front of him. And I ended up starting all 17 games that year. And I missed two plays the entire year and played like really well. Like I I hate pro football focus. So I'm not going to you know, use that, but like they even had me rated high. And you know, that's sort of (laughs) weird for an offensive lineman. Most of the time they hate linemen, but um, you know, I graded out really well. I did really well. And uh, like you said, the third year Nick came back from the ankle and we're sitting there that first day in the meeting room. And, uh, I'm sitting there with my buddies. We had just been to Arizona. You know, we had trained. We felt good. Our bodies were getting better. And the first day, you know, our line coach was like, all right, man, move back row to spot. I was like, what? You know, like, I I get it if he beats me out, but like, this is sort of mean. And he just said, listen, this this is how the NFL works, man. He's a draft pick. You're not. And like, the craziest thing is like the NFL, you would think the best players always play no matter what. And I can tell you from time and time of seeing it over and over on all these different teams and all these different positions, it's still a business. Right. Like it is always a business. It will always be a business. And at the end of the day, they're going to do what's best for the business.
1: Do you That's have incredible. to, do you, do you feel like, like, do you learn that the hard way? Like you, the first time you get cut, because I could see how you become attached to like a city and a place. You start a ton right. of games. I, I, you played in the playoffs that year as well. Right. So you guys mm-hmm. had a, a really good season. And you and you yeah. did really well. Was mm-hmm. that kind of like your first like? I don't I don't want to call it a trial by fire, but was that kind of like the first time where you're like, wow, that this sucks. I need to kind of change my attitude a little because you are a, you're a big team guy. I, I think that's mm-hmm. why you stayed around so long. Is you're you're a really good person. You care about other people. You do whatever you can to help someone else, and mm-hmm. just the fact that you're a grinder as well. Right. But to do do all those good things and then all of a sudden you're told like, hey, back up a row. You're not the star." Was that kind of like your first shot? Like I, I might have to change my attitude a little or, you know, how, how do you feel about that?
0: Yeah. So that that that's funny because that conversation actually made me think, man, I have to I have to play harder. Okay. Right. Like I have to prove. Because they drafted another guy that year. Like, it wasn't like, you know, they're, they're always trying to draft your replacement. So, you don't have too much time to sulk. Um, and that year, I would say that third year is probably one of my worst years. And it wasn't just because, you know, it's just because I was always either looking over my shoulder or looking forward. And uh, I was still – now I was still super loyal to Houston. Um, and then that next offseason, we got a new strength coach, Luke Richardson. Yeah. I think i talked to you about him. But so, like, that dude, like, changed the way I thought about football because he made you want to blindly buy in again. You know, right. so then I had a great fourth <laughs> year. I got that extension, which was really nice. Uh, my, my, I guess, come to the realization moment that the business will always be bigger than the, than the loyalty was actually my sixth year because I was slotted to make good money. That was the first COVID year, right? So, like, COVID came, sort of ruined everyone's world right? Um, we went into the training camp. I was healthy as can be. And, um, the head coach, like literally comes up to me and says, Hey, Greg, like I'm going to take care of you this camp. Like I've because like, Tim, we've talked about, like, I, I was sort of the guy who did all the grunt work, the grind work, you know, like the, yeah. that stuff in the NFL. And, um, he's like, i I'm going to take care of you this year. So I got like every couple of days off, like, Camp was going great, like I had no complaints, but there were no preseason games, so we're going and like things are fine and like it was like a week before cut day. I like had this weird inclination, like something's not right, like I've been here long enough, like I I don't know why, but I just don't feel easy. So I went up to it was O'Brien, you know, Coach O'B, and I was like, Hey, O'B, like we're walking across the bridge. I'm like, Am I doing something wrong, like? He's like, honestly, no, Greg, like, you know, I'm just taking care of you. You know, I've sort of done some, some, some mad things for you in my career, you know? So I was saying, man, like I'm finally getting treated like a vet, like this is football. So I'm walking across the bridge. I'm happy as can be. And, um, it was cut day and everyone was already cut and we had like two more cuts left and I'm not like, there wasn't a thought in my brain. I was getting cut. And, um, I'm walking out with Whitney Merciless. Like, the, the security guys like, hey Greg, you gotta come with me. Like it like as uh, quietly uh, as possible. And like Whitney is laughing. Like, oh Greg, God. they must be renegotiating you again. Like, good oh, for you. Oh gosh. And like and at this thought I literally was thinking, are they gonna try to like bring me out another year? And like just sort of like elongate my money because they owed me like a good amount of money. Now it wasn't guaranteed, but I was like, all right. Yeah, sure. Like, I didn't think anything of it. And we're walking through, and like, all of a sudden, like, we go in the training room. I'm like, what? Like, the trainers are laughing because I was literally hanging out, and then like, the head trainer was like, guys, stop laughing. And I'm like, oh. So, like, we walk upstairs, and like, at this point, like, I sort of realized what happened, but I had like four or five guys with me still thinking, like, this was a joke. And, um, I remember I go in, and, like, I don't know if you've had anyone talk to you about Jack Easterby, the guy who just got released from Houston. Mm-hmm. But that dude, that dude is, I'm, I'm not, you know, I don't, I don't like dislike people, Tim. But, like, I don't like that guy under any circumstance. And, um, you know, he said, yeah, I think we're going in a different direction. And, like, I'm looking at OB, like, you're the head coach. And, like, OB's not even looking at me. I'm like, this is so weird. Like, this is the weirdest cut thing. And O'Brien's like, if anyone tries to pick you up, I'm gonna, I'm gonna match it. Like, there's a spot for you on this team, and I'm so confused. Like, I didn't even think I got cut, but it was, it was a money cut because they were paying LT, they were paying Deshaun. and uh, because it was COVID, I didn't get any preseason games, and I'd been hurt the year before, so like I had like four different, four or five different options for practice squads because that's when that new practice squad rule came out. And uh, I talked to my agent. He's like, Greg, you love this city. COVID's still this thing, right? Like no one knows what it's gonna do. Is it gonna shut down the season? Is it gonna shut down and you're in Texas where like the rules aren't as strict. He's like, they say it's the best chance for you to get brought up. Like OB's gonna OB promise, like OB is like, I'm gonna take care of you. Like this is not the end of your story here. So I signed back to Houston as like my last like little loyalty thing, right? Right. And then we start 0-3, oh, we lost to Kansas City, Baltimore, and Pittsburgh when they were, like, the three, like, top dogs. And O'Brien gets fired. And literally, like, the day he got fired, like, my entire world flipped because Jack would make sure I was protected, but I wasn't allowed in the main locker room because it was COVID, so we were in, like, a separate locker room. So I couldn't get brought up unless there was a COVID issue, and then I got brought up every time. I couldn't get released, and I was just stuck. And that was, like, the year that, like, my loyalty, like, that sort of crap, like, that ended. Because, I mean, I could do an hour talking about how miserable that year was. But that year showed me that, like, football is only to be a business. The guys in the locker room, you know, the coaches that you meet, they can be great people and friends, but it will always be a
1: business first.
2: You, There's a lot you to that, unpack there. Yeah, I mean, that's, yeah, so, sure. that's
1: so wild. No, I was just going to ask, like, do you think, like, there's times where the head coach has no say? So, like, Bill O'Brien just told you, like, hey, I got plans for you. I'm taking care of you. And then all of a sudden you have this this other guy. What did you say the other guy's name was? Easterby. Jack Easterby. Jack okay. Easterby. Well,
0: look up the Sports Illustrated articles. They got released that year because of the stuff he was doing. And it's, like, the tip of the iceberg type of stuff. That dude was nuts.
1: And that's, like, so one person – in management makes that decision. Bill O'Brien has no idea, and then like he can't do anything about it. Like it, you're just at the mercy of of a guy that's not a very good guy. Well,
0: again, like I'm not going to give O'Brien like he he was the head coach in the GM, you know? Yeah, right. But the fact the fact of the matter is like they were trying to pay two guys a boatload of money. Yeah, like a boatload of money, and they needed to get rid of some of the guys who were making like two or three. You know, there were about three or four of us that were sort of surprise slashes. And um, again, like, you know, sort of how it happened was ugly. But I I don't think I'm alone in the fact that these guys, like, get sideswiped. Yeah. Well, the Texans
1: did, back at that time, the Texans did make some, like, really odd decisions. Like, I, I remember the Texans, everyone, like, I remember some of the moves they made and you're just like, what is going on there? Like it, it almost like felt like a corruptness type thing. And I, and again, I, I, I don't know. I, I'm an outsider looking in. I blame Bill O'Brien because like you said, he's the head coach, he's the GM. And it's like, why are they making some of these moves? But as a fan and outside looking in, I, I, you know, know more than the, the general fan does about how the NFL works and how football works in general, you know, because I've been around it. I have friends that are, that are involved, but just to think like the money, you know, isn't right. And that's why they're shipping out all these draft picks. And cause I, I know like there, what was there two years in a row, they didn't have a first and second round pick cause they just like shipped everyone off. I mean, that well, if, literally just it, crushes a franchise.
0: Well, if you think about like something we talked about, like, a lot earlier, right, which was great for us at Toledo, which was culture. All the guys, like, in Houston, we made the playoffs, I think, what was it, four of my first five years. Like, we never never crossed the hump, I get that, but like, man, that was a good locker room. Yeah. You know, like, there are going to be so many guys who are in my wedding and, like, you know, are a part of, like, the rest of my life from that group, which is sort of something that's sort of an anomaly in the NFL, that, like, they're, I don't know, 10, 12 guys that I consider, like, close friends. Um, but all the core guys got chipped out in, like, two years. You know, the core, the whatever you want to call it, the culture builders, you know, whatever it is, um, you're always going to have your big names in the NFL. But, like, that was just – I mean, what, what happened was we had we had that game against the Chiefs, right, where we were up 24 to nothing. Yeah. And then it thro- it went the other way. And then after that, it sort of went downhill.
2: Yeah, I remember but, that game actually. Yeah, I remember watching side that note. too.
1: Yeah. yeah. So compare but, it now. So Colin has mentioned in past podcasts about you know the the staff with the Buffalo Bills. So compare, you know, where you were to where you are now in Buffalo. Obviously, you know, it's it's nice when you have guys like Josh Allen who you know are are literally superman there i don't know if there are there's ever been a guy like Josh Allen to play quarterback in the NFL and and just like having that guy can take you to a super bowl you know and obviously you guys are you guys have a lot of other really good players in buffalo but sure. um sometimes that franchise quarterback can take you from you know winning very few games to to winning a ton of games but uh, nonetheless talk about the culture and the staff and and everyone right. in buffalo where you currently are
0: Sure. So, you know, I left Houston after that six year, um, went to Baltimore and then went to Miami, right? Got traded Miami. And like, I think to really allow yourself to be a part of a team and a culture, you have to be there for a little bit of time, right? So like bouncing around isn't necessarily, like, I don't know if I could give you the best opinions about Baltimore. I could tell you like some really cool things they did, some things that I didn't like, you know, same with Miami, some really cool things, some things I didn't like, but I wasn't there long enough. And I got here in the spring and I don't think I've ever met a team that's so close. Um, I don't know if it's partially the city, right? We're in Buffalo, right? We're not in Houston where everyone's spread out over an hour or Miami where there's like half the team in Lauderdale, half the team in Miami and then like spread out everywhere else. Like everyone's here. So there's guys are always doing something like I can't think of a day in the last, I don't know what week we're we in. We just finished nine. Cause we, yeah, we just finished week nine. But I can't think of a time in the last 14 weeks where I haven't had a text from one of the guys being like, Hey, hey let's go see a movie or Hey, like cards in my place tonight or just like that sort of stuff. You know, you talk about, um, and we have cornhole boards in the building. Right. And, um, some places I've been, some of the atmospheres I've been in throughout my career. It's like as soon as practice ends, right, and that meeting ends at three thirty, the keys are in the ignition. Like we are yeah. going. Like we are. And like here, like we'll end practice at like I don't know. Say say it's like a Monday, right? It's like three like, o'clock. Like it's a short day. I'll walk through the locker room at four thirty-five, and there's still twenty guys in there, you know, playing ping pong, throwing cornhole bags, like. Talking about, you know, whoever knows what, like, I don't even know all the things that guys talk about, but it's just guys want to be around each other. Um, And I I do think, you know, you talk about coaches and cultures, right? Like I think coach McDermott really is a fan of being yourself, but like being a Buffalo guy, you know, when I signed here, it was like, man, we hope you can be a Buffalo guy. And um, it just makes, I think at the very beginning, you said it makes coming to work enjoyable. Like, today's our off day, right? You do not have to be in the building at all today. That is the firm NFL rule. I went in this morning at 8.30, and I got in my car at 1 p.m. to talk to you. And from 8.30 to 1 p.m., I was at work. You know, like, that. you don't do that at places you're miserable. Like, you want to be there. And I'm not the only one who's there. There are guys in the tubs. There are guys playing cornhole. There are guys watching film. You know, there are guys talking about game plans for next week. Like, that stuff is just – That's the stuff that I think that makes, A, work enjoyable, but, B, helps teams get to that next level, right? Like, the two best teams I've been on, the team was close. The guys were a a group, a unit. They did stuff together. And, like, you know, earlier on, we we lost, right? We lost a game. That night, we got off the plane. Everyone went over to Josh's house. You know, and there's no finger pointing and, like, we need to fix this. The coach need to fix that. It's like, man, like, I wish I did that better. Yeah. Man, like, I screwed that up. Like That Miami game, I was like, man, I really wish I would have played better, you know, and I would list the plays. But, like, I think that's stuff that good cultures and good coaches and obviously, you know, you saw it for a little bit. Like, that's the stuff that makes
2: makes work fun, enjoyable, and makes good things. Yeah. Gosh, that's I awesome. love hearing that um Hmm. i guess you know
1: colin's a buffalo fan too i am i know he's he's about to exit this podcast and throw more money on the bills to win the super bowl now Um,
2: (laughs) Uh, (laughs) just just don't tell my employer um but (laughs) you know i i guess for you you've been through all these trials and and tribulations um Mm -hmm. with football i mean you you just keep climbing up at what point is it enough for you at what point are you done and have you thought about what you're going to do after football? Well, when
0: I was coming out, right, I remember I told you I met with those four, those four agency groups, and um, I didn't pick this group because I didn't like some of the other things. But he gave me the best line I think I ever heard. Right? He said, "If you play ten years, you've made ten million dollars, and you've won a Super Bowl." then you can think about what you want to do. But until then, you tow the company or toe the company line. You do what you're supposed to do. And you know, you're a worker. And I've always actually thought that way, which is weird because that's like the opposite of how NFL players think, right? Like yeah. just just do what you gotta do, work hard, put your head down. Um, but honestly like if you would have asked me in that six year of Houston, like that year where I was miserable, like I would have told you I was done after eight. And I would have hated every second of it, but like being in Buffalo, like I I just see the other side of football, right? Like, I don't, I don't want to end because it's still so much fun, right? The enjoy, the experiences are fun. The the practice it's fun to practice, right? Like that sort of stuff, like why, where else? And here's, here's an honesty for your podcast, right? Like I'm currently not getting paid as much as I normally do. Right. Where else in the world can I get paid $500,000 in a year, to practice for four days and get paid to eat food and get my body treated. Right? Like that doesn't exist like everywhere. Right. And do it with guys that you care about and like want to spend time with. Like that's the stuff you want. So I I don't know at the end story, you know, end game is there. Um I always joked around that when I retired I was gonna move to wherever my wife wanted to move to because I figured I dragged her around for six, eight years, whatever it would be. And, um, it was her turn to make a choice. So, um, I'm currently dating, you know, my girlfriend, Emma. so we'll, we'll get to the wife thing soon. It's, it's my fault. I'm sure. But, um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, I'll move wherever she wants to work and wherever she wants to like take the lead there, because I, I don't know what I'm going to do next for work. Um, I can always go into coaching. I know Campbell has joked around that I'd be a great coach, but, um, you know, we'll see.
1: If I had a, if I had a half a million dollars laying around, I would just pay you to just come and host our podcast. You could just be a part of the, part of the group. See, I, I, don't com, know if I, I could come hang it. out. I
0: would come <laughs> hang out. We'd we'd run the podcast and we'd have a great time.
1: I love that. That's a good. So yeah. me and Colin got to get, we got to find up. We got to find five hundred grand laying around to to afford that.
0: Hey, don't
1: forget <laughs> good health insurance.
0: You know that's that's another thing the NFL does pretty well.
1: That's awesome. So talk about your wife a little bit. Talk about your family, the role that that she plays. I know that's really challenging. I'm sorry, your girlfriend, not wife. You mentioned your wife. Um, talk about your girlfriend and the role that she has, because I know it's not easy. So I, I was in coaching for a while and I know players, wives and girlfriends go through the same thing. But I'm sure, you know, you're traveling every week. You you know, you're in Arizona to train in the off season, and there's a lot of time and effort that, you know, you're putting into yourself and in your career right. and right. it might be challenging to, to give that attention to someone else.
0: Right. First off, I'd like to thank every wife, girlfriend, and person who puts up with us. That's, that's, we need to say thank you first, but, um, a good story, I guess, to sort of describe this is, um, it was the end of that, that sixth year in Houston, right? We're at a beach in Galveston. One of my other teammates, Max Sharping, had just proposed to his now fiance, Cassie. And um, Emma and I are driving back from Galveston to Houston. It's an hour. And uh, I got a call from my agent. I said, Greg, what do you think about going to Baltimore for the playoffs? That'd be really cool. He said, all right, I'll call you back, you know. Um, The rest of that week, we were packing up my apartment, not hers, my apartment putting it in a U-Haul and then shipping that out to Arizona, right? That was the point. And then when we shipped it out to Arizona, we were going to fly out. It was going to be her birthday that next weekend, January 15th. And we were going to have a birthday party for her. And I had like eight of our friends who were, you know, mostly her work co- colleagues. And then some of my friends fly out to Houston. And we we're going to have her birthday party January 15th. As we unpack the U-Haul, my agent calls me an hour later. Says, Greg, your flight is booked for 11:50 at night. You're flying to Baltimore tonight. I'm like, what? He's like, You're flying to Baltimore. You have to land before midnight so it counts as a day because there was a weird COVID isolation thing for two weeks. So I hopped on a plane. She helped me pack a bag, fly, fly me to Baltimore. She packed my U-Haul with my apartment stuff. Then flew to Arizona, unpacked it herself with her friends for the birthday. Like, And, like, no one thanked her. I mean, obviously, I thanked her for it. But, like, you know, like, that's the stuff that they do. Like, they move everyone's stuff. She always is, like, she's organized. She's a planner, right? Like, I suck at that. I'm not going to lie to you. But, like, she drove this Tahoe that I'm in right now from Arizona to Miami when I got traded from Baltimore to Miami. And, like, she has a full-time job. Like, it's not like she just like, you know, she has a full-time job. She works for Dow Chemicals. She was a chemical engineer, so she finished engineering. I did not. Um, but like, it's just the stuff that they put up with is sort of ridiculous.
1: Yeah. And the yeah. outside looking in, like a lot of people see, you know, an NFL player have a ton of money, you know, it's, it's not always the easiest thing in the world. You get calls like that where you completely have to uproot your life and then you know, you're in Baltimore and then all of a sudden you're traded and, and then you're cut. And there's so many different things that outsiders looking at don't see about the NFL and how challenging it is. And and not only challenging, you know, from a physical standpoint, but from a mental standpoint as well. Just just having to deal with really not knowing like what's next in your life and, and kind of hanging on every day with probably a little bit of anxiety. And and uh, every time I know if I was in the NFL and, and kind of a, you know, Bouncing around, I feel like every time my phone would ring, my my heart would skip a beat. Like who's who's calling to cut me, you know? So uh, I think outside again, people listening that that might not be as familiar with the NFL. It's it's uh, it's a lot, you know. It's a you you might be getting paid a lot, but but it's a lot.
0: Well, I mean, you think about like obviously the top guys get paid a lot, right? Yeah. Um, Yeah. But a lot of those, a lot of the bottom guys who like. I'm I'm sort of in that right now, but like a lot of the guys who, like, bounce around, like, you think some guys are on, like, five teams in a year, and, like, what if they have two kids, you know, and then right. you think, here's a crazy one, right, um, what was it, A.J. Klein, the linebacker, right, he did, like, a week with the Giants, signed with, what was it, the Ravens, right, so he, he did a week with the Giants, then went to the Ravens, played that week, and then got traded on Tuesday to the Bears, so he was on three teams in like three weeks. Like I'm sure that dude's got a family and like kids and like you know like some of some of these people like that's why a lot of NFL people have what we call like home base, right? Like Tim, you've been to my home base in Scottsdale, right? Yeah, you let me, you let like, me
1: stay there.
0: Yeah, yeah, you're more than welcome anytime. But like <laughs> if you don't have a home base, you just have to move everything all the time, right? Like when I got traded from Baltimore to Miami, I packed up a bag or two bags. Flew that night, and Miami said, "Hey, you have like two weeks in a hotel, and then you gotta start paying for it." So we're looking for spots, you know, on the fly while still trying to figure out how to get my car from Baltimore to Miami. Like, it's nuts.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's wild. I mean, again, I don't know. Outsider looking in, you you think everything's great when you're when you see a guy playing in the NFL, and and again, you there's the the high paid guys, the Aaron Donalds and the Joe Burrows and Pat Mahomes of the world. And then there's, you know, everyone else that is just trying to to live out a, this childhood dream almost. So uh, and yeah, I wouldn't
0: trade, I wouldn't trade my dream for the world. Like I'm not yeah, saying right. that,
1: is, but
0: um, yeah, you know, if you're not one of the top, I don't know, 15 or so guys, like there's going to be some moving parts, you know, you're going to, you're going to, you're going to have some hard stuff happen. You just sort of, like you said, keep persevering.
1: Colin, you got anything left, man? This, this has been awesome. I, I just enjoy catching up with you. I know, uh, like I said, we, we haven't been in touch, you know, being busy, but uh, you know, we just check in every once in a while. And when I asked you to come on the podcast, you know, forever ago, I feel like we canceled on you once or twice and, and to finally get you on, man, really really excited for, for you to just share your story.
2: Yeah. I think the, the last question, you know, I have it and I want to start asking everybody this is, you know, what would you say your identity is? And what I mean by that is, how do you want to be remembered by your loved ones when you're mm-hmm. gone?
0: Mm-hmm. Well, let's go, let's go two part. My identity is a football player, right? I always want to be the guy that guys can trust on off the field genuine dude guy who does things the right way right what my identity by my loved ones i think that i want someone i would want them to say greg was a genuine man who was a great husband and father and genuinely always wanted the best for his kids right like i i grew up obviously i lost my dad at a young age um and i always aspired to be like him right um but I just think about all the sacrifice he made for me and my sister and my mom, like to do the things we do. And I just want to be as good of a man. Like I want people to be like, man, like that family, like they do things the right way. Like those are good people. Like I, I don't care about my kids playing in the NFL or like being an astronaut. I just want them to be successful, happy, and healthy. And uh, then maybe have their own good families. Cause I don't know, family to me is probably the most
1: important thing, whether it be football or elsewise.
0: And uh, that's what I sort of
2: stand by. I love, I love it,
1: man. I love it. That's We share the same values. I mean, that's kind of the point of this podcast is, uh, you know, to share these stories, to help younger people. But, you know, I was thinking about the other day, and and to be honest, like when I'm gone, you know, hopefully years and years from now, my two boys can look back and listen to these these episodes and hear me talk about things and uh, hear other people talk about things that they can learn from and and uh you know it's it's almost like um I want to leave a blueprint you know whether we have a million people listen to this episode or just one person listen to this episode and my my two boys can hear this down the line and uh, they can understand you know this is this is the blueprint this is what you know your dad cares about you a lot and and he's trying to help you every way you can. And, and that's, again, that's your higher purpose. That's, that's what you do, what you do and, and why you do it. So oh, yeah. uh, last thing, Greg, where can we find you on social media? Ooh. Um, well, my only social media that I still use
0: is Instagram. Uh, it's at Greg man's. I think my Twitter still exists, but I haven't tweeted in like since we were in college probably. And uh, <laughs> so that would be at Greg man's too. We're doing real original names here. And uh, I don't even know if I have a Facebook anymore, but uh, Instagram would be the spot to go.
1: I love it. Thanks again so much for coming on, man. It was great catching up, and uh, we'll get you on another time. I, I'd love to to you know hear more about your story, hopefully, you know, after a Super Bowl this year, uh, for Colin's sake and for your sake, of course. That's right. And uh, um, right. and thanks again so much for coming on, man. This so many people are going to benefit from this. I mean, every every episode that we do just seems to get better and you learn so much more and uh we just appreciate you sharing all your all your experience and all your knowledge yeah no
0: problem it's um, i'll be back anytime you know i will um and uh yeah hopefully we have some fun stuff to talk about next time i'd appreciate
2: it. you
1: yeah thanks again greg no problem really hope you guys enjoyed the podcast please make sure to like rate subscribe also head over to our social media pages at identity impact we're on instagram or on twitter check us out over there shoot us a message tell us what you love what you don't love maybe even shoot us a message with some ideas of who you would want to hear us interview and who you would want to hear us talk to uh, thanks again so much for listening in we'll see you guys next time on the identity impact podcast
0: with a grand design that means your humanity cannot be minimized Uh, and these are all facts there's way more to you than just scores and stats and when you need a reminder of that tapping with identity impact